Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, we've got to wade into controversial territory here. Lindsey Graham is the United States Senator from South Carolina, and he is doing the impossible or the almost impossible. He is hurting the cats of the Republican Party on the abortion issue. He's getting a lot of flack from the pro-life community for what he's doing at at the state level, and, and I want to defend him some because I actually think What he's proposing isn't a bad idea. And just before you send me hate mail and disagree with me, let let me uh, express to you my thinking on this. So what Lindsey Graham is doing is he's proposing a uh, national piece of legislation that at the federal level would say no abortions after 15 weeks unless the life, not health, but life of the mother is in jeopardy. Democrats are furious saying it's a nationwide abortion ban. What I find intriguing is that Dana Bash on CNN, when Democrats come on to talk to her and abortion comes up, she asks them what their number is. What what What's the cutoff point for abortion? Is it 15 weeks? Is it 20 weeks? Is it 42 weeks? Is it when the child is wheeled out of the hospital? Can a guillotine be waiting? I mean, what is it? And almost all of the Democrats have no answer. They say viability. Here's the problem. We know from science, not 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 the pseudoscience where boys can become girls, but the actual science of biology, that a child in utero, often called the fetus, at about 15 weeks has a nervous system developed by which they react to stimulus which suggests that they can feel pain, strongly suggests they can feel pain. In fact, at about 15 weeks, if surgery in utero has to be performed, the the child can get anesthesia because doctors are convinced that at that point, the child actually can feel the stimula, stimuli and can feel pain. So shouldn't we be stopping abortions at 15 weeks if that's the moment a child, a human being begins to feel pain? Or is it remarkable that uh, we're in a society where the left wants to ensure that a murderer feels nothing when we execute him, but is perfectly fine with a child feeling everything when we rip him apart? What is it? The Democrats want to settle on a standard of viability. That standard of viability is ever shifting due to science, and probably that standard would delay the advances of science that can keep a child born uh, prematurely alive if they're born younger than 22 weeks. But at 15 weeks, the child feels pain. So the Democrats are perfectly fine uh, killing a child through an abortion, allowing the child to feel pain until the child gets to 22 weeks. And then they have this nebulous health of the mother standard where, oh, well, you know, uh, if the woman coughs after a regular delivery, she might wet herself. That deteriorates her quality of life. Therefore, she should be able to have an abortion. Oh, well, she might feel pain. That would deteriorate the quality of her life. She should have an abortion. Their health standard is the nebulous catch-all standard to allow abortion on demand until birth. At taxpayer expense, I might point out. 
The pro-lifers who are going after Lindsey Graham on this say, well, this is a state matter. We've always said this should be a state matter. Here's the problem. If frogs had wings, they would not bump their butts when they jumped. That's your problem. If frogs had wings, they would not bump their butts when they jumped. Frogs do not have wings any more than abortion will be a state-level matter. You may wish it to be show, as the frogs may wish for wings, but the reality is, in our world, the Democrats are going to make this a national issue, so you better be prepared for a national response. The loudest voices in the room at the state level are the abortion abolitionists, and while I'm sympathetic to their position, it's a killer when it comes to votes. If you really want to round up women and throw them in prison for having an abortion, you might as well kiss ever getting back into power goodbye. The question is, do you want to save some lives or do you want to be so pure in your beliefs that you get abortion on demand through birth as a federal law? The Democrats intend for it to be so, and they're perfectly happy for the abortion abolitionists to scare the bejesus out of every reasonable, moderate, independent voter in America so they vote Democrat on the issue. Republicans have always had the winning answer here. In Roe, let the states decide. Well, guess what? Roe ended, and then they have no message. They have no unifying message. They have no gravitating message. And they're left to the loudest, shrillest voices in the room. And Republican candidates are coming up against aggressive pro-abortion reporters, shoving cameras in their faces, saying, what about rape and incest? What about rape and incest? And many of them have Todd Aiken quality answers that are hurting their side. All Lindsey Graham has done is proposed a piece of national legislation to fight on the national playing field that the Democrats insist we fight on and has staked out the most reasonable, poll-tested, favorable position that abortion after 15 weeks is too long, that a woman who is raped or the victim of incest by 15 weeks will know she's pregnant and make a determination whether or not to terminate the pregnancy, that at 15 weeks the child feels pain, and 76% of women, not men, but women in America are okay with 15 weeks, which is longer than any country in Europe. Most countries in Europe prohibit abortion after 13 weeks. You, myself included, might think this should be a state-level issue. You, myself included, might think we should be able to prohibit abortion from conception except for the life of the mother. That's not the world we live in. It may be the world we want, and we've had opportunities over 40 years to try to build that world, and the moment Roe v. Wade went away, we realized the world we thought we had built crumbled beneath our dreams. Most Americans were perfectly happy to say they were pro-life, but now living in a post-Roe world are kind of freaked out that they may be held personally responsible for creating a life that they would more conveniently like to put away. And so we are working on that field in that reality, where a lot of Republicans don't have good answers for the questions the media are raising, despite the pro-life movement trying to get everybody on the same page and the talking points and make sure everyone has a good answer. Seth Dillon, when confronted by uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast, held very firm on the issue that we should not punish one life for the tragedy done to another. It was a great, strong answer. Uh, I commend him for his courage for going on there. He's the publisher of the Babylon Bee. The reality is um, a lot of the world sees the world the way Joe Rogan does and not the way Seth, Seth Dillon sees the world. That if you're raped, you should be given the opportunity 
to end the pregnancy. You and I may think that's taking a life and doing two wrongs, doing a wrong to try to make a right, but we're in the minority. I've always told candidates when candidates ran for office, you need to know when you're the minority even when you think you're right. And I think Seth Dillon's position from the Babylon Bee is right. But I also understand we're in the minority. And if we wish to stay in the minority and not be able to advance the issue at all, that's where we're going to be at the national level of policy. Lindsey Graham is hurting cats. The national pro-life organizations in America all seem to be on board with this. Many of the state-level organizations are not, but I'm also reminded there are a number of state-level organizations, including one of the pro-life groups in Georgia, that has fought over the years against pro-life legislation. So, for example, in Georgia, they passed a fetal heartbeat ban. There are two organizations in Georgia. There's Georgia Right to Life, and there's the Georgia Life Alliance, which I helped start. The Georgia Life Alliance and the Family Policy Alliance, probably the greatest conservative group in the state of Georgia, were on board the fetal heartbeat ban. Georgia Right to Life actively opposed it. Why would they oppose it? Because it would still allow abortions within the first six weeks. And because it didn't ban all abortions, they opposed it. Never mind it would ban the overwhelming majority of them, but they're purist in their thinking. So one reason I started the Georgia Life Alliance was because the other pro-life group here in Georgia, when the uh, Republicans in Washington, D.C., proposed a 20-week abortion ban, they refused to support it because of those first 20 weeks where you could have an abortion. When the Republicans passed the late-term abortion ban, the pro-life group in Georgia opposed it. That's why I started another pro-life group in Georgia, one that's more reasonable and understands that we can't always get our way 100% all the time, but if we can move the ball in our direction down the field, we should be going that way, as opposed to standing firm and watching the other side score the touchdown. That's what Lindsey Graham is doing with this legislation. He's moving the conversation in our direction. Democrats and members of the media think Lindsey Graham has made a strategic mistake. They call it an own goal. Lindsey Graham has exposed the Republicans as wanting to put a stop to abortion after 15 weeks. Yes, that's what he wants to do. 76% of American women say do that. What the Democrats want to do is favored by less than a quarter of Americans, which is taxpayer funding of abortion until the moment of birth. And this legislation requires the Democrats to explain themselves, not the GOP, not the GOP. The media is convinced that this is an own goal for the GOP because most of the major media outlets in this country are highly pro-abortion. Most of the, re the reporters, male and female, love abortion rights. And so they look at what Graham did as still offensive and unreasonable. But polling shows most Americans that's right where they are. That's the sweet spot for restricting abortions in this country. Do you know what the Democratic proposal is? This is the actual Democratic proposal, and they say if they pick up more seats in the Senate, they will end the filibuster to advance this legislation. The, another reason, by the way, we can't play at the state level because the Democrats are on record in the last month saying they will get rid of the filibuster and advance their abortion legislation. And what does their abortion legislation do? It ends all state regulation of abortion, including the regulation of healthcare facilities. Some states have laws that if you're going to an outpatient facility that performs abortion, that place must have the same standard of care as a hospital. 
because you don't want a woman in Kermit Gosnell's bathroom trying to flush a child down a toilet. The Democrats would get rid of that and go back to the Kermit Gosnells of the world who give women pregnancy-inducing pills and allow them to flush the child down the toilet as an abortion. That's what the Democrats want. That's what they want. And they want you, the taxpayer, to fund it. Let them defend that. But the only way for them to defend that is to defend Lindsey Graham and his legislation, which I would point out is not going to become law. Not now. It's not going to become law. The Democrats will never give it a vote in the Senate. It's a piece of messaging legislation. It allows Republicans at the state level who have messed up their own message to point to this message and say this is a good one. 15 weeks. If you're the victim of rape or incest, you have time to make your decisions. But we're not going to use taxpayer funds. We're going to stop abortions the moment the child can feel pain. And we're not going to be extremists like the Democrats who believe that up until the moment the child leaves the hospital, the mother should be able to terminate the pregnancy, whether the child is in the womb or out of the womb, which is the ultimate hardcore Democratic position here. A child is not a child until a mother gives it value in life. That's not the way the world works. Child is a child the moment of conception. It's a human being in a particular form that grows and evolves. But the question for us in America today on the pro-life movement is, are we going to say only at the states can we decide this issue and have the Democrats steamroll us at the federal level? Or are we going to take an initial stand and say, wait, 15 weeks right now, we may scale this back later. But at the federal level, 15 weeks at the state level, okay, pass something at the state level that's more restrictive. But at the federal level, this far, no further. We will not have abortion on demand until birth. Lindsey Graham wants to begin the conversation. He's being assailed by people for beginning the conversation, but it's a conversation we need to begin because right now we're on defense. Lindsey Graham's legislation puts us on offense and puts the Democrats in the extremist position. Welcome back. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me. Don't forget if you text data to 33777, you can subscribe to the daily email uh, where you'll get... Uh, probably tomorrow, what I am about to point out now, I'll get you all the data for it. Don't look now, but I was right again. You know, I am the most humble person you'll meet. Just ask me. <laughs> I was right on this. Every once in a while, I feel like I got to point out I was right on something because I spent as much time saying I was wrong on stuff. This I was right on. Uh, Democrats, don't look now, but the Economist YouGov poll is out. It's D plus four. Oh my gosh, my stars and garters, that's so awesome. Yeah, except last week it was D plus six. And two weeks ago, it was D plus eight. So you've gone from eight points to six points to four points, and you're still a month and a half from the election. And early voting begins in a couple of weeks. It'll be interesting to see if it's at a D plus two in two weeks. We'll see. I'll keep my eye on it. I'm fascinated by it. Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, I want to go to Richard next. Richard, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? I'm fine, Eric. How about yourself, sir? Great. Uh, yeah, the more to your point about people who don't want to buy EVs, I'm that guy. I, uh, I went to the dealership and I paid an exorbitant amount of money for a new pickup and picked out the things on it that I liked and I wanted, and an electric engine wasn't one of those, or a motor, sorry. 
Uh, secondly to that, if they got the range on them any better than what they were, the Ford Lightning might have been in my plans had it had more than a range of 300 miles because I know for a fact that I can fill mine up once or twice a year and drive from North Georgia all the way down to St. Augustine, Florida on one tank of fuel and then ride around for two days on that same tank before I ever have to fill up again. And you cannot do that on a Lightning. Uh, you'd have to get about halfway and then stop and recharge. Yeah. And you're going to be there for a lot longer than it takes to fill up your gas tank. Look, look I, again, Rich, I'm kind of with you. Uh, if it made sense for me and if I had the money to do it, if someone wants to buy me a Tesla, I'm happy to take the Tesla. I will I will pay to put the high-speed charger in my house if somebody wants to buy it for me. I don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth and the, the capital right now to do it. But also... My Yukon Denali can get me and my family from my house to Cape Canaveral for my daughter's birthday trip to the beach to see the rockets at NASA uh, without having to stop. And mm-hmm. your EV isn't going to do that. Um, and a lot of people say, well, what about Rivian? Rivian, a buddy of mine actually offered to let me drive a Rivian next week. I'm going to be out of town on the days he's coming through. I'm intrigued by these. I am totally intrigued. And if they make sense, they make sense. But like I'm, I'm my, I mentioned my buddy Vince, who's a, a home builder in, in Atlanta, and he actually was listening and texting me that he's driving around with lumber in the back of his truck right now. Can you imagine your battery dying, being stuck on the side of the interstate while you're trying to go back and forth, back and forth, delivering supplies to different job sites? And, oh, I got to pause. I got to take 30 minutes out of the schedule of the day as opposed to five minutes and put everything behind. It doesn't make sense for some jobs, and this is the problem here. It makes sense for a lot of people. It would make sense for me if I had the money to do it, and I would love to be able to do it. The problem is it doesn't make sense for a lot of people, but other people have decided that they will make the decisions for those people in the name of doing the most good for those people when you're not really doing good for those people. We as a society are increasingly deciding that our decision of what is good for another person will trump whether or not that is actually good for that person. We're not allowing people to make their own decisions. We are curtailing and shifting the market through subsidy and penalty in order to force people in a particular decision-making direction. And I think that's wrong in this particular case in large part because of the viability. Hell, in California, you can't even plug your car in right now because of the power grid shortages. So you want to put people in an electric vehicle they can't even charge, and you think that's in their best interest? That's insane. Maybe let people live their own lives. Well, uh, this gets to what I was getting at on, on the abortion issue. Stacey Abrams was on The View a short time ago. Listen to how it, she Abortion does this. is a medical decision. Let's get to the beginning here. Do you think there should be any legal limits on abortion, such as the third trimester or viability? I believe that abortion is a medical decision. That abortion is a medical decision. Um, okay, that's that's a, a real good dodge by Stacey Abrams. Um, but what about 15 weeks? What about 15 weeks? Uh, what about the, the life of the mother exception? There There are ways to put Democrats back on defense on this issue. But to do it, you got to understand what Lindsey Graham is doing here as opposed to just beating him up for trying to help unify the Republicans around a message that polls very, very well with women in America. Now, back to the phones we go, 877-973-7425. Sean, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Hi there. 
Hey, I love your show. Keep up the good work. Um, my question is, um, the so-called, so-called Inflation Reduction Act that the, the Democrats supposedly gave Joe Manchin what he wanted in the bill, so he signed on to it. Uh, but yesterday in an interview with Brett Baer uh, on Fox, Joe Manchin said he, he will need Republicans to actually pass his part of the bill. Can you explain this? Because I thought reconciliation got Joe Manchin what he wanted. <laughs> yes. Um, essentially, the Democrats are doing to Joe Manchin what he previously did to them. If you will recall months ago during the Build Back Better debate, uh, Manchin said, pass the infrastructure bill and then we'll pass Build Back Better. And so the Democrats passed the infrastructure bill and Joe Manchin and moderates in the House of Representatives then killed the bigger spending package. So what Joe Manchin did this time is he said, hey, um, I will pass the reconciliation bill, but you all have to agree to change drilling permitting processes. And if you if I pass reconciliation, you have to pass that. And all the Democrats said, all right, Joe, sure, we'll do that. So they got Joe Manchin on board for reconciliation. And now that it's passed, the Democrats who told him, okay, we'll do that, are saying, yeah, remember when you killed our legislation? Guess what we're going to do to you? Uh, payback is hell. And personally, I, I, I kind of find it hilarious to watch because it's hurting Joe Manchin back in West Virginia terribly. Um, secondly, it's a reminder that the Democrats are putting their climate change agenda ahead of reducing costs as we head into winter and natural gas and propane costs go up. And, and you know, it, it payback, honestly, for Manchin. Manchin tried to go along with this stuff for the Democrats. And I want to be really honest here. Manchin knew this was going to happen. This is all for show right now. Manchin knew every little bit of this was going to happen. Manchin knew exactly how it was going to play out. He knew they were going to stab him in the back. He didn't care. He wanted to go along with the Inflation Reduction Act. He liked the prescription drug benefits and stuff in there. So all of this is just a dog and pony show right now. Uh, the outcome was preordained the moment he decided to compromise in that way. Back to the phones, 877-973-7425. Jonathan, you're up next. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Good. Um, I see your show all the time, man. Just about every day. Um, I saw an ad. Uh, Marcus um, Flowers, running against Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> yeah. He um, he he had an ad in there, and he was talking about that uh, Republicans were voting against uh, you know interracial marriage and same-sex marriage. They were and, and codifying the. Uh, or codifying same-sex marriage, and I just wanted to see if you can help clarify this for some people. Um, yeah, okay. Some people do their, do so, their research, you know? First, yeah, let, let, let's talk about who Marcus Flowers is first. Marcus Flowers is actually my hero. want you all to know this. Flowers, the Democrat, is my hero. He's running against Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's not why he's my hero. He is the Democratic candidate in the nation who is sucking up all of the Democrats' dollars so that they're not playing in other races. Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to win re-election. 
Marcus Flowers has deluded a bunch of National Democrats, much like Stacey Abrams has, into convincing them that he can beat Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he can't. And every dollar these idiots send to Marcus Flowers is a dollar they are not sending to races where Democrats actually could win. This is, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know what a heat sink is in a computer? A heat sink takes all of the heat out of the, the microchip and disperses it. You essentially ply, ply it into this one piece of metal so it doesn't spread around the rest of the computer, and, and then it's designed in such a way to funnel the heat out. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is an idiot sink for the Democrats. By Marjorie Taylor Greene existing, Democrats pour all of their hopes, dreams, and ambitions into beating her, and they never will. And they diffuse their ability to help other Democrats around the country. I mean, the genius of having Marjorie Taylor Greene in this position, whether I agree with her or not on issues, the genius of having Marjorie Taylor Greene in that position is that Marjorie Taylor Greene is uh, the, the, the magnet that draws Democratic crazy. And they cannot win. So Marcus Flowers is running ads saying that if if Republicans win, they will ban interracial marriage. And he's essentially using the language that Clarence Thomas used in his concurrence to the Dobbs decision. Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court in his concurrence to Sam Alito's Dobbs decision said that we need to rethink substantive due process and the things that have come from it, including gay marriage and interracial marriage. And it freaked out Democrats. Clarence Thomas's position is not that interracial marriage is unconstitutional. I know Clarence Thomas does not take that position because guess who is in an interracial marriage? Clarence Thomas. Thomas's position and again, he's not a politician as much as Democrats want to claim he is. He's a judge. He doesn't care that you're freaked out by what he said. His point is that substantive due process is a legal theory that was formed by members of the Supreme Court years ago that allows members of the Supreme Court to pour their hopes, desires, wishes, and dreams into the Constitution and say, substantive due process, that explains everything. Substantive due process, his view of it is that it's not really a thing. You have actual legal due process. That's in the Constitution. Substitute process is not there. So Thomas's argument is that he's not saying interracial marriage is unconstitutional or not in the Constitution. He is saying it probably is best placed in some other section of the Bill of Rights not some conjured up thing called substantive due process. Same with gay marriage. Now the Senate, having had the House codify gay marriage, the Senate is about to codify gay marriage nationally. They've got enough Republican votes to overcome a filibuster. That's gonna happen. On interracial marriage, the fact of the matter is that uh, the United States was the only place in the world around the time of the Civil War and after the Civil War where interracial marriage was prohibited. Most European countries had interracial marriage. And the easy thing to do is to say, well, interracial marriage is not constitutional or non-constitutional. It is a recognition of what was there prior to the Constitution, which the founders of the country themselves decided. That is it. No one in America had to be remarried when the Constitution was imposed. Or voted on, I should say, not imposed. No one, no one had to remarry. George Washington did not have to remarry Martha when the Constitution was ratified. Uh, the Constitution ra- recognized marriage. Uh, 
marriage between a man and a woman. Historically, in the entire world, marriage between a man and a woman was not based on race. It was based on man and a woman. So that arguably would mean that the federal government should probably codify gay marriage, but interracial marriage was, uh, the, the ban on interracial marriage was unique to Southern United States. It wasn't uh, unique to the nation. It wasn't unique to world history. So uh, we should just recognize marriage evolved in that way. And I suspect even on gay marriage, Thomas would say that we have recognized the unique evolution of institutions in American history, including marriage. It can change, and therefore, uh, gay marriage is something that has happened in this country. It has evolved over time, and we can find that all we are doing is recognizing the institution that we ourselves did not create. But And you don't have to hide behind substantive due process to do that. On the particular charge by Democrats, like this guy running against Marjorie Taylor Greene that Republicans want to get in, get rid of interracial marriage, uh, multiple Republicans, not just Clarence Thomas, are in interracial marriages. Only the, the dumbest people out there, the most gullible rubes in America, would believe Republicans want to get rid of interracial marriage. Also, uh, the Republicans were the ones who freed the slaves and passed the Civil Rights Act. Why would they want to undo their key handiwork? That's... An argument for another day, though. Now, back to the phones we go. Nancy, you're going to be up next. Nancy, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Eric, for taking my call. Um, what I would like to say is I resent how news media and many politicians lump women together as being pro-abortion. There's so many of us out there that are pro-life. And we don't seem to get the representation when uh, the news is on or listening listening to politicians. The, listen, uh, so many members of the American media are pro-abortion. They can't actually distinguish um, reality anymore. In their bubble, they, they they see all of their friends are pro-abortion, so they presume every woman is. I, I will tell you, when I was on CNN for three years, I had a longstanding personal policy. I would not go on the network to talk about abortion. And the reason I wouldn't go on the network to talk about abortion is not because I'm not pro-life. It's because I knew what was going to happen. They would have a female anchor and a female pro-abortion activist versus the man. And both of them would say, I wanted to control women's bodies. The anchor, who supposedly was objective, and the pro-abortionists. Both would. It would be two women against a man. And so inevitably, when I would be asked to do these things, I would say, no, thank you. I'm not comfortable talking about this. Here's a list of all of my pro-life friends who are women. Charmaine Yost um, uh, was one. Um, who else? Um, Penny Nance was another one. Uh, Marjorie Dannensfeller was another one. Uh, there were so many pro-life women in charge of pro-life organizations in Washington. In fact, that the largest pro-life advocacy groups in Washington, D.C. are all run by women. And inevitably, at the end of the day, I would tune in and they would have found a man to sit next to the pro-abortion woman. That's what they, it was an editorial choice. It was editorial optics at stake. It's what the media does. By the way, uh, there's a tie-in here to inflation, so Phoenix, Arizona, and Atlanta, Georgia have the two highest inflation rates in the nation. Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where Mark Kelly is running for re-election, Democrat, and Atlanta, Georgia, where Raphael Warnock are running for re-election. That should give Blake Masters in Arizona and Herschel Walker in Georgia uh, two big attack lines on those Democratic incumbent candidates. 
But what's so interesting to me is that so much of the media has concluded that inflation is a fading issue for the public. Turns out that in Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C., the three epicenters of national media in this country, inflation is below the national average. So the members of the media who think inflation is a fading issue for the public live in New York, Washington, and Los Angeles. And in very many other parts of the country, Phoenix, Atlanta, Miami, and others, inflation is outpacing the rest of the nation. Phoenix, Atlanta, Miami, Houston, Seattle, Chicago, Chicago, Detroit, they're all above the national average of 8.3%. Phoenix is at 13% inflation. Atlanta, 11.7%. Miami, 10.7%. Houston, 9.5%. Seattle, 9%. Chicago, 8.8%. Detroit, 8.6%. Los Angeles is at 7.6%. New York is at 6.6%. Washington, D.C. is lower than that. The very people who told you that inflation was an fading issue, it was a fading issue are in places where infa- inflation's doing better than the rest of the nation. The rest of us are suffering here in Atlanta, Georgia, the number two hotspot for inflation in the nation, right behind Phoenix, Arizona, should give the Republicans a new line of attack on the Democrats. Also, given inflation and what the markets are doing right now, I mean, we're really literally back in Jimmy Carter territory now. We haven't seen food price inflation like this since 1979. You may want to call my friends at Gold Co. See if physical gold and silver can help you with your retirement. 855-904-5933 is their number. They'll give you a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. All you got to do is call my friends at Gold Co. 855-904-5933. Find out how you qualify for their special offer. They've helped thousands of Americans. They want to see if they can help you. Call them, see if they're a good fit for you. 855-904-5933. Or if you text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Easy to remember, 33777. Two threes and three sevens. 33777. Text my name, Eric, there. And I'll send you back their toll-free number. Call them, see if they're a fit for you. Well, fascinating. Um, Wisconsin's top pollster has come out with a poll. And it has Ron Johnson in the lead. Now, just last month, the same pollster had uh, the Democratic candidate, uh, Mandela Barnes. No, I'm sorry, in August. Yeah, yeah, last month. Uh, In August, among likely voters, Mandela Barnes was at 52%. Johnson was at 45%. In their new poll of likely Wisconsin voters, Johnson's at 49% and Mandela Barnes is at 48%. Big shift in the polling. Jonathan Martin used to work for National Review. He's now a reporter of the New York Times, said that uh, privately, Democrats think something is necessary, reining in their expectations. Holding a 50-50 Senate is going to be a really good cycle for them. Behind the scenes, despite all the bluster in the national press behind the scenes, Democrats are not so sure that they're going to hold the Senate. In fact, the real clear politics guys actually think the Republicans will pick up uh, two seats in the Senate. They think that Republicans will pick up Georgia and Nevada and will actually hold Pennsylvania. Uh, the trend lines in Pennsylvania are not good for John Fetterman. In fact, there's some news about him I want to get to in the next hour. Also, the next hour, uh, Senator Tom, uh, Tim Scott is going to join me from 
South Carolina. Now, Mandela Barnes is the Democratic Senate candidate. Uh, he is, I think he's far left. I mean, he's like hyper progressive. And he's been caught on tape saying that to combat climate change, we have to stymie capitalism. Mandela Barnes is the lieutenant governor of Wisconsin. He was actually speaking at a 2019 UN climate change conference in Spain. He said um, the United States and its economic system are mostly to blame. The simple answer to get is get money out of politics. The second answer is to stymie capitalism the way it is in America. He went on to attack American capitalism, essentially saying that the free marketplace allows people to make decisions that undermine the climate. This exactly gets to my point earlier where the federal government is trying to force people into battery-powered cars, even against their will. People, people don't want to do it. Um, fascinating to me that uh, this video has come out and also times with polling there in Wisconsin. And keep in mind, the Democrats are now back to only two-tenths of a point ahead in the generic ballot against the GOP. And that's not because of Republican polls skewing it. It's because the Harvard-Harris poll that had had them up pretty significantly has declined to dim plus two. And the Economist YouGov poll that only two weeks ago had the Democrats up eight points has them declining to four points. And all of these polls come before the market crash of yesterday. And by the way, the Dow Jones has sunk back into negative territory now. It was up over 100 points this morning. The S&P is up three. The NASDAQ up 39.58. The Dow now down 38 points. Another down day for the Dow Jones after yesterday's 1,200-point loss. It's not going to help the Democrats in November.